Hi, I'm Kim LaPree from the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I've got Patrice M. Bain. She's one of the authors of the book, Powerful Teaching, Unleash the Science of Learning, just published this year, 2019. Yeah, you're going to love this. Lots to learn. It's practical, easy to read and use, and just incredible, incredible resources. By the way, don't forget to subscribe and share. Glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Patrice Mbain EDS is passionate about student success using research-based strategies. As a veteran K-12 teacher, Patrice recently completed more than 25 years teaching social studies at a middle school in Illinois. Patrice is the only teacher author of the popular practice guide, Organizing Instruction and Study to Improve Student Learning, commissioned by the Institute of Education Sciences. Patrice's teaching approaches have been featured on TV, PBS's Nova, radio, NPR, popular press, and multiple books. Patrice frequently pre- presents professional development. Boy, say that a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> Patrice frequently presents professional development workshops throughout the United States. She has taught education courses at the graduate level, and she was a finalist for Illinois Teacher of the Year and a Fulbright Scholar in Russia. Today, we're talking about her book, Powerful Teaching, Unleash the Science of Learning, written with Dr. Pooja K. Agarwal. And I uh, just want to say welcome to you, Patrice. Thanks for being here, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey today. Well, glad you're here. And uh, right off the bat, I want to I want to talk a, a few things here. You're a veteran teacher with 25 years teaching middle school, and I believe it's social studies. Uh, what do you like about working with kids? Oh gosh, what didn't I like about working with kids? For one thing, no two days are alike. In 25 years of teaching middle school, there were never two days that were alike. Um, I love being able to connect with the students, and I love to teach them how to learn and teach them about the world. It was truly one of my finest adventures. Excellent. And I got to tell you, you are so on the money with that about it. It's never a dull moment. So, you know, (laughs) it's going to happen every year. Exactly. Now, I got to ask you, because I, you know, I, I, I did, I thought about this as, uh, as I was thinking about the questions, I wasn't going to ask it, but I think I'm going to ask it. All right. So there are teachers who would say middle school. <laughs> uh, middle school. I love middle school. To me, it was the best. Uh, the students are so eager to learn. They, um, they're capable of, of doing so much and, and they are getting to a point where they're starting to become confident and want to question everything. And uh, I, I just simply loved that age. It was just a great connection but with me and with them. That's awesome. It, you know, it's it, at any age, I think as teachers, we find our special area, but that's, uh, it's so cool being able to <laughs> 
see them get excited about learning or you just start getting it and, uh, and, uh, and that's awesome. So, and congratulations on uh, 25 plus years. That's, that's incredible. That's very good. Thank you. Thank you. So if, if you could go back in time to your first year teaching, what would you tell yourself about teaching? Is there something that you would, you know, just <laughs> could rush right back and say, Oh, Hey, hey here we go. Tap you on your shoulder and say, I got some ideas. Oh, there's so much I would have told my first year teaching self. Uh, first of all, breathe. You've got this. Uh, as a young teacher married with young children, I can't tell you how many days you could find me in a corner of my room when the students were there crying or crying in the restroom. Uh, I felt so incompetent. How, how could I be the best teacher, the best mom, the best wife, the best this, the best that. And it was truly so overwhelming. When I think of everything that new teachers go through, if there was just this way to say, you know, you've got this. You're going to be better in a year. You're going to be better in five years. You're going to be better in 10 years. And even with 25 years of teaching, um, you still have days that didn't go too well. <laughs> and, you know, use those as learning experiences, not, not to uh, throw in the towel, but it's like, okay, how can, how can I make that better? And I think if I had known all that at the get-go, uh, my life would have been a little bit easier those first few years. That's awesome. That's, that, that's off, awesome right there. I know. <laughs> That would have helped me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so one of the things I want to talk about is that uh, as I was reading up on you and looking at different stuff and you have some really cool articles that you've written and all kinds of neat things, but you also have been recognized nationally, which is really cool. And, and you're one of two teachers in the country asked to be on a working task group, Neuromyths versus Neurotruths, sponsored by the Institute of Educational Sciences, IES, and the National Commission of Educational Research, NCER. Could you explain what this was or is all about? Sure. It's a great title, isn't it? Yes, it is. Awesome. <laughs> so what are neurotruths? Neurotruths are simply, we now know from research what works in classrooms. We know how people learn best. Those are neurotruths. They're researched. They're facts. Yet, so often in our teacher preparation programs and in, um, in our classrooms and professional development, our teaching is often based on anecdotes, anecdotes and fads. And those are the narrow myths. And so this working task group met in D.C., to try to look at how can we start dispelling some of these narrow myths that tend to keep perpetuating over and over again and try to get the neural truths or this, this abundant research into classrooms. And so, for example, some neural myths. Um, actually, I, I marked the book on page 196, just to say a couple of them, like, like one of the biggest narrow myths is um, 
students learn better when they receive information in their preferred learning style. Learning styles, that is a huge myth. In fact, 76% um, of educators still think that they should be teaching according to students' learning styles. And that is a myth we need to debunk. Uh, the learning styles, the main ones were visual, auditory, kinesthetic. And what we need to do is you want to teach using every resource you have available. And research has shown that if you try to target a child into, you know, oh, you're visual, oh, you're kinesthetic, so I'm going to tailor my teaching to you in these areas, you're actually doing a disservice to students by not, by not presenting information in a multiple ways. Um, when I do presentations, often teachers are shocked to hear that this learning styles is a myth. And in fact, there are over 16 states that still have questions about learning styles on their teacher certification exams. So this was a big one that we discussed um, with this working task group. Um, other ones are we only use 10% of our brain, I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of them that have simply, these myths keep being perpetuated. And through our book, through research, um, our task is really to try to dispel these myths. Let's get what really works, what has been researched, how, how people learn best. Let's get those truths into the hands of teacher prep programs, into PD, into classrooms. That's, that's awesome because, you know, it, I'm not quite sure. Well, I guess I am. It's easy to, uh, if someone says it, someone repeats it, and then <laughs> enough times, then it suddenly becomes real. Everything's real. Uh -huh. But some of what you're debunking here through this, this committee and so forth, but working on this is stuff that actually, you know, people put forth as, is research of types that for the longest time we were hearing it as real, which is the reason why those states probably still have it on those teacher tests. Well, true. I, I was taught um, the importance of learning styles. I would have um, administrators do walkthroughs with clipboards uh, to check, you know, was I right. doing visual? Was I doing kinesthetic? And and so, yes, this has been around for a while, and, and we're hoping to, to get the real way people learn into classrooms. So i got to get you to talk about one of the ones that's on that same chart, which is, okay. which is children are less attentive after consuming sugary drinks and or snacks, real or not? Not. not. I hear <laughs> a lot of kids going, see, I told probably. you. <laughs> But there will probably be parents who will say, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I know my child and I know what happens when I give them a sugary snack. Um, 
I've had students consume energy drinks. Uh, the day after Halloween, I think, is the worst possible day for teachers because <laughs> backpacks are filled with candy. Um, but I, I did not have students not learn well because of that. Gotcha. The, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because, and, and by the way, I, I was just as bad because as a teacher and then as a principal, I always brought my extra candy to school the day after Halloween too. So, <laughs> <I'm> getting... <laughs> so the good thing to know is that I wasn't uh, causing them not to be able to <laughs> stay focused. So that's good. That's right. So that's what, right. What was that like being on that committee? What, I mean, what was that? Uh, that had to have been a kind of fascinating sort of experience. Oh, it was. So, uh, oh gosh, there were maybe 15 of us. I might have that number not quite right. But um, like I said, there were two K through 12 teachers and then the rest were, the rest of the people were um, professors, um, researchers, and it was, it was, an important work for for not only um, for me as a teacher to be sitting with this panel with this group of educators hearing about the research um, but it was also important for the researchers to hear from teachers I, I one of the people there commented to me I can now put a face with my work. You know, I have spent all of this time researching in laboratories and I can look across the table and talk to you and see how this research is really working in classrooms. And so it was it was um it was very inspirational for me to be able to to work and it also um helped helped me realize that that yes I, I'm on this right path here this is being able to to shout from mountaintops about the research that actually works in classrooms I'm on the right path so it was a very validating great experience excellent excellent that, that's so cool so hey, I appreciate you sharing on that and, and and just as a note that is such a cool list when you when you get this book audience you got to make sure you got to make sure that you go to that chart because you're gonna be shocked <laughs> you're gonna be shocked just just a note i want to point out 196 all right that's just get a mark that down and that's the first place you got to go when you get the book because it'll oh, go what you. <laughs> you're welcome the uh all right so let's shift to powerful teaching unleash the science of learning uh, written with dr puja k argawal uh, you guys published it in 2019 it's a uh, um it's very recent book, and uh, it, one of the things that I want you to, uh, to talk about was uh, just this. What's it, what's it like working on a book with someone else? I mean, did you each work on a separate section, or did you collaborate on sections? How would that work out? Well, let me back up a little bit. Pooja and I have worked together for close to 15 years. Oh, excellent. Uh -huh. So we we totally understand each other and we knew 
there was this book inside of both of us. And uh, she now lives in Boston and I live in St. Louis. So we were able to um, Zoom frequently. (laughs) That's pretty much how we wrote. And so we each knew what we wanted to say, but because we had known each other and worked together for so long, we were able to really complement what we wanted to write. Pooja is, is so knowledgeable and, and has such a handle on all of the research and from her own teaching and um, from our working together and, and what I've been able to do in my classroom, our writing just flowed. I would write, um, I would share it with Pooja, Pooja would write, and then we would, we would look at the commonalities and go, oh, this would be a great chapter, and this would be a great chapter, that the writing, it, it took about a year, um, but it really just flowed together. There was just, once we started, it, there was just this wonderful progression, our thoughts were similar, we complemented each other, and June 5th, it came out. Awesome. Awesome. The, uh, so, and she was an elementary teacher, right? She did some um, teaching in fourth and fifth grade and then has since been teaching at the college level. Gotcha. So we have elementary through college experience. Very nice. Excellent. The, uh, so let's delve into the book. And uh, okay. one of the things that I want to um, make sure that I talk about is right in the beginning. And by the way, I, I love reading introductions, <laughs> but I realized I had to cut back on some of my questions because I was, I had all this stuff highlighted in the introduction. Cause a lot of times pe- people skip over introductions. I'm like, I don't do that. And I was, there's all this cool stuff in there, but <laughs> Thank <you>. time. <laughs> so um, they, uh, in chapter one, discover the power behind power tools. This is noted on page 14. Powerful teaching is more than just another promise. Powerful teaching is different. What do you guys mean by this? We realize that most of our books were either written by cognitive scientists or teachers. And we did not come across books that had been written by a cognitive scientist and a teacher. And so that's how powerful teaching really is a little different. And the power tools that we came up with, they're based on rigorous research by cognitive scientists, but it's also based on decades of experience by classroom teachers. So that's why it's different. Excellent. And it is. When you get into this, uh, you know, as as you're listening, um, one of the things when you start taking a look at this, it is very different. And it is, just as a note, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but it is very user-friendly. So, and I, and kudos to you both, because this is, uh, this is awesome. (laughs) We're not stuck in a cloud, because once once you start hearing a word like metacognition, some people's eyes might be glazing over, but don't, don't do that, (laughs) because you're going to (laughs) understand. And uh, so, so let's talk about the, the, power, the powerful te- teaching highlights these four power tools. One is retrieval practice. Uh, the second one is spacing. The third one is interleaving. And the fourth one is feedback-driven metacognition. So 
Tell us what a power tool is. Well, we looked at what of all of the research that's out there, what is the research that will be most effective in classrooms? And it actually, you know, this has been around for some time. When I was a co-author of Organizing Instruction and Study to Improve Student Learning, the practice guide through IES, we looked at what the research was out there. And these four, what we call the power tools, the retrieval practice, spacing, interleaving, feedback-driven metacognition, these were all written up in that practice guide from 2007. And being a co-author of that earlier practice guide, I was able to spend, oh my goodness, you know, the next 10, 12, 14 years looking at what the research was and then creating um, strategies that use that research. So, looking at those four power tools, we just felt that these were the ones I most consistently used. They were the ones that were most practical and useful for teachers. They were all evidence-based and, and things that every single teacher can implement in their own classroom just by learning about the background and some of the strategies that we provide, one of the things that we say in our presentations is, you be you. You know, teachers take this information and tweak it so it applies best in your classroom for your students. And using these power tools, introducing these to teachers it's a way to get them grounded so they can just take off with this research and, and use them their way. That's excellent. The, uh, and, and that's, by the way, is one of the things that I think is really unique about what you guys have written about is that you do say that. You, you say that, uh, you know, you talk a little bit about what teachers are doing in their classrooms. And then you say, you know, and you talk about this, this tweaking of it, to use your word. I think that's, <laughs> that's awesome. So. Very cool. So, so let's go ahead and look at a couple of the power tools. And the first one, let, let's just look at retrieval practice and uh, talk a little bit about what it is and what a couple of its benefits are. I would love to. Retrieval practice, I think, is probably the key power tool. And Pooja has a great line, and it's so often we concentrate on putting information into our students' heads. What if instead we concentrate on pulling information out? And when you think about that, this, this was like a huge aha moment for me because as teachers, we're kind of drilled with, um, okay, here's the information, here's what's on the curriculum guide. You need to get this into your students' heads. And, and we concentrate so much on, on putting forth the information. But it's so much more powerful when the students are able to pull this, to 
retrieve this information out. And that is what retrieval is. Um, so this pulling out of information. And in doing so, there are so many benefits. It, it reinforces learning, it improves learning and retention over the long term. Um, it increases higher order thinking, transfer of knowledge. There are just so many benefits of retrieval. And something really big that, that I like to shout to teachers is, how are you doing? How are we doing retrieval in classrooms? Is the first time students have a chance to retrieve on a chapter test or a unit test? And is that, what happens then is students tend to, to have added stress. You know what, I wanna take, let's stop. I wanna pull that part out. Okay. <laughs> Let me go back. Um, Where do you wanna start? I'll just start. Okay. So one of the, the benefits of retrieval is you wanna make it low stakes or no stakes. You want to have students have the opportunity to retrieve information before it ever gets to a chapter test, before it ever gets to a high stakes test. By simple methods, strategies of having your students retrieve um, really helps the students retain the information better. And as a teacher, I found that as I kept doing the retrieval, we did not have to spend as much time reviewing before a test because the students were already retaining the knowledge. Excellent. Another benefit of retrieval when you do it in the low stakes or no stakes and you do it frequently, it also really helps the teacher and the students to identify gaps in knowledge. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about metacognition. Excellent. So the, uh, and so since we're <laughs> talking about that, because uh, it, that, my next question is about that one, because I'm gonna skip, skip the other two, because my favorite one is, is the force power tool, which is called feedback driven metacognition. So let's go ahead. Could you share some about that? And uh, I can identify some of that that I really like about it in there. I can. I love metacognition. I would have students call me Mrs. Metacognition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> on, on the very first day of school, I would start my classes by saying, hello, I'm Mrs. Bain. I'm your teacher. And my first priority is to teach you how to learn. My second priority is the content. And the first word that I would teach them was metacognition because sixth graders love to use big words like that and they <laughs> loved it. So what is metacognition? Metacognition is thinking about thinking. It is that process of, of allowing you to discriminate between what you know and what you don't know. 
And often on the first day, I would ask students, have any of you ever studied for a long time and you didn't do well on a test? And every hand always goes up. And it's because they were not aware of their metacognition. Because too often our students study what they already know versus what they don't know. And the beauty of metacognition is, is I have so many strategies that allow students to determine, can I retrieve, do I know that answer, or is that something upon which I need to focus for the test? So between retrieval, being able to pull the information out, and metacognition is the awareness of, I know that, or, gosh, I need to study that one a little bit more. You know, these two are just winners in helping students learn. Which is so cool. And, and so one of the things that I'd like to ask you is, can you, can you kind of share what, what it looks like when a teacher kind of delves into that fourth power tool, one of those tools that they might, you know, one of the, how it might look? Sure. Um, to me, the metacognition and the retrieval go hand in hand. So let me share a little story. Uh, one year, when Pooja and I were doing research in my classroom, we did a pop final at the end of a semester. And it didn't go in the grade book. The students did not know it was coming. We simply wanted to see how much could students retrieve at the end of a semester from the different strategies we had used. And what I found is that my top GPA student only scored about in the 50th percentile. And I was really surprised by that. Here's a person who got 100% on tests and homework and everything. So why, why only in the 50th percentile for remembering at the end of the year? And I realized at that point that students have mastered doing homework. They look at a question, they look up an answer, they write it down, repeat. And it simply keeps going like that and they're not retaining the information. So the following year, I totally gave up giving homework. And instead, I started giving mini quizzes, which was I would take anything that we had discussed the day before, write out the questions, write about what we had discussed. I would cut them into little pieces of paper, throw them into a basket, and we would start the following day with a mini quiz where I would simply randomly take out five of the questions. Students had little tiny pieces of paper, two by three inches, cut up recycled paper, number one through five, and I would ask the questions and they would answer them. I would collect them. We would go over the answers. So right there, the students were able to see, were they able to retrieve that information or not? So their metacognition was showing them what they had retained. I went from grading two and a half hours every night to a 15 minute analysis after school of simply looking over these. Were there questions that a lot of people missed? Well, then I knew what to focus on the next day. So 
being able to combine this metacognition, being able to help students um, figure out what they know and what they didn't know was to me a real game changer and for the students as well. So I came up with the mini quizzes. I came up with um, metacognition sheets, ways for them to discriminate what they knew before a test so they knew what to focus on. Um, I changed the way I did flashcards to retrieval cards that allowed them to, again, test their metacognition rather just, you know, copying from a book. So those are just a few of the techniques or strategies that were really combining the metacognition with retrieval. Excellent. Thank you so much for, for spending a little time there. I appreciate it because it just, it just, uh, it's, it's so user-friendly. It's so just something that I think that someone could read tonight and start looking at their plans and using tomorrow, I guess. is my Exactly. Point. When I do professional development, my goal is, is okay, what can you use tomorrow? Here, here are the templates. Here, here's the ideas. Everything is user-friendly. These work. That's awesome. So one of the things that's really, that's really neat about the book is that throughout the different sections, you have these areas called, and I keep wanting to call them things, but the, these areas that uh, are called power up. And they're little boxes, little oblongs that are in there, and it says power up. Can you talk a little bit about these and where the idea came from? Sure. Uh, I started giving... Uh, professional development years ago, and, and Pooja and I together started giving presentations uh, many years ago. And in the pre presentations we did together, or ones that I did myself, I always want to practice what I preach. And so as we were writing the book, we knew we didn't want to have summaries where people would not read through the book, but would just go to the summary at the back of the book. But we wanted through our book to also practice what we preach. So the power-ups are simply um, ways for people to reflect, to retrieve, to test their metacognition, to pause, to think how they might be able to incorporate this into the classroom. And when we were writing the book, uh, we were having a discussion uh, one time and just power up just came to us. And it's like, nice. that's perfect because that's exactly what we want to do. So those are the power ups. That's excellent. And I, and I love it because it does, it, it creates an opportunity for you to stop, pause, reflect, and think about what you just read or mm -hmm. it gives you a specific example to think about as well. So cool. The, uh, and also if I could interrupt one more time, oh, yeah. it's also a way for, as teachers are reading the book to see the power up when they pause and they reflect, you know, it's also setting an example of you can do this in your classroom. You know, after you've taught for something, do a power up and we'll show you how to do that in your classroom. I love it. I, and I, you know, and just as an example, there's just throughout the book there, they appear and, and uh, you know, like this one is, is talking about how a, how a teacher could uh, 
talk about uh, a subject to uh, talk about power tools to their students. And it says power up. It says, how could you give a brief elevator speech about power tools to your students? Take a moment and outline it or write it out. And I, I love it. These are, you know, this, this is how they appear throughout the book in, in different ways. So it's nice. It, that makes you, you know, like you said, stop and think about what you just read. Good stuff. Thanks. The, uh, one of the other things that I got I to gotta make sure that I mention before we leave is that there is this, uh, this, this, I keep, I got to come up with a better word than cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a bigger vocabulary in that, but it is, it's awesome. It, it, it's awesomely cool. How about that? How, um, how about powerful? Powerful. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Very powerful. You have these, you have these activities, templates, and downloads at another website called powerfulteaching.org and it's and it's it's all these uh, uh resources that are meant to help the the readers of the book and i was wondering if you would just share a little bit about the the thinking there and because that's a lot i got a, a lot of be a lot of wow let me try that again it's got to have a lot of time and effort focused on on creating those extra resources could you talk about those resources just a little bit absolutely so a lot of those resources are from years of experience in my classroom. I saw what worked. I was able to revise, to tweak in my own way. But more importantly, I saw how students changed. I saw students, in fact, another story. Um, Every year, I would have students come up to me first quarter and say, Mrs. Bain, I have an A, I have a B in your class, and I know. And and they would say, but I've never done well. I always get Ds and Fs. And that would get me, how can we have an educational system where our students internalize failure by the time they're 11? Yet I was able to see these very students turn this around when they learned how to learn and get A's and B's and the confidence and and the just their demeanor, everything changed. And I thought, I am able to see the changes in my students' eyes, in their personalities, in their learning, in their grades. And I want every teacher to be able to to see this in their own classes because it is so possible. And so I just wanted to shout from a mountaintop that that these these work. And so how can I share these? So they are are free, just take them. You can download them, uh, take them and tweak them, create your own from them. But I just, I I want our educational system to change so that students learn, that they internalize success. That's what we need to do. That's excellent. And that's, you know, that, being able to provide tools that are going to help that process happen are just um, excellent. That's, and I, I thank you very much for both of you making sure those are included there because, you know, that's a, it's a big deal. I mean, I, I was a, as a student, I was, I was very good at, first of all, I was a good kid and did my work and I did well in school, but I also figured out in some classes that if I look like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing and if I 
you know, did, uh, um, I probably could have done a little bit better and stuff like this, but as long as I did that level where I wasn't getting in trouble and stuff like this, that I didn't get called to the board. I didn't get, you know, questioned as to whether I really understood what it was or not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I, I love what you're talking about because that is about not letting somebody like, like me go just you know, slide under the door there or get, <laughs> get around the corner without uh, anyone checking to see if I'm really getting it or not. Yes, and, and you know, that's not uncommon. Um, and, and there are the people like, my, um, like the example I had given earlier about my top GPA student that as teachers, how often – do we have students doing the work but not providing the opportunities for them to retain the knowledge? And as teachers, you know, it's kind of the, the little story of how you spend the first several weeks reviewing at the beginning of the year. You don't have to do that when students are retaining the knowledge. So it's these work not only for students who really struggle, but the students who, who might be just kind of sliding by doing the work but not retaining the information. And another thing I want to add is not only PowerfulTeaching.org, but there's also uh, RetrievalPractice.org. That is a site um, that Pooja has created. And uh, you can sign up for that. And she has over 10,000 teachers who get, uh, she puts out weekly tips, strategy. So that's another wonderful site for teachers. Excellent. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you. Any of the websites that we're talking about, just want to remind everybody that uh, they're in the show notes and that's where I'll have all those links. So just, just know, you just go straight there and you'll, you'll find that information. So there's so much I could keep talking about. (laughs) And before I close, Me too. I have, <laughs> excellent. And you know, and and before I close, I have to talk about this section: do-it-yourself retrieval guide, which I believe is chapter uh, chapter twelve in the book. Uh, could you talk about this? I can. Thanks for asking about that, Steve. When we were writing the book, as I mentioned earlier, we really want to practice what we preach, and I am so passionate about how these strategies work, that I really want teachers to be able to use this information, to experience how learning can be transformed into their classrooms. So chapter 12 is a do-it-yourself retrieval guide. So it goes through the chapters, it asks questions, um, it has uh, teachers reflect, and and the purpose is several fold. One is that um, you're able to space the information. You've already read the book. Now, here's an opportunity to space and retrieve what you've already learned. Another purpose of the book is, um, as we mentioned earlier, we want teachers to use this. So we offer so many templates and things for free. We want teachers to be able to use this book to transform teaching. So chapter 12 allows faculty to use uh, it as a book study. Uh, Administrators can use it for professional development. It's all there. It's free. It's going to really help 
teachers be able to to internalize and to be able to retrieve this information on their own. So in writing powerful teaching, we really wanted to end it with a powerful ending that, that here you go, this is all at your fingertips. So that's chapter 12. That's cool. Thank you. And I need, I knew that, uh, you know, cause it's, it's a neat chapter and it, it, and it kind of, it, it kind of brings things together and I just thought that was cool and I wanted to make sure I got a chance to uh, share that with everybody. So, well, awesome. Before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, Patrice, where would you send them? Oh, powerfulteaching.org. They can go to my site, patricebain.com. Um, on Twitter, I'm at patricebain1. Um, you can email me, patrice at patricebain.com. I, I am so willing and able to share what I know. Um, let me come and, and give presentations, professional development. I'm absolutely passionate about this subject and really want to share how, how wonderful it is when, when your students authentically learn. Excellent. Thank you so much. And once, once again, I'll have those links in the show notes for anyone uh, to follow up and uh, easy to find and get in, in contact with Patrice. So last two questions that I have, and they go like this. If you had a chance to speak with 100 brand new teachers, what would be one piece of advice you would share with them? Oh, I would love to do that. <laughs> um, one piece of advice. Well, hopefully they were already at my workshop, so I didn't have to say come to my workshop. But I think the one piece of advice would be to find a power partner. And that's a term that we use in the book. It might be a mentor. It might be somebody else. But your power partner is somebody who can really help you, who can offer you strategies, who can listen to you. So often as teachers, we are really isolated in our, in our classrooms. And to be able to find that person or that group, whether it's somebody in your school or on Twitter or, you know, there are, there are like-minded people out there. And to be able to find that person or that group who can help support you, listen to you, offer suggestions. Um, I really think that's key. Excellent advice. Excellent. The last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I do. It's Mrs. Hart. And I grew up in, with a very wonderful public education system in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And yet, I was in high school before I had a teacher that absolutely brought learning alive for me. I had good teachers, but there was this one, Mrs. Hart, that taught me in a way that I didn't know was possible. And she probably has more impact on my teaching 
of how to bring the world alive for my students than probably any other teacher. So thanks, Mrs. Hart. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Patrice. <laughs> That's so cool. I, I love it when uh, someone is able to share that person that has that, that impact. So cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Patrice, thank you so much for talking with me today. I've enjoyed it. Powerful Teaching Unleashed the Science of Learning is an amazing book. It's useful, practical, easy to understand and use. Great additional resources. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Steve, I also want to thank you for the opportunity to share my passion. Um, part of writing this book was to build a community of powerful teachers and being able to speak with you on your program and to have um, educators all around being able to listen to this is, is really wonderful. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V, and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now.